0: Your favorite thing to do on a day off, binge watch television. Hello
1: and welcome to the seventh episode of Reba Watchables, your favorite podcast about the esteemed sitcom Reba. Uh, I am your co-host, Natalie Weiner.
2: And I am your other co-host, Johnny Opping.
1: And, you know, today we are lucky enough to have our second ever guest to recap the Reba episode, Tea and Antipathy, which is kind of a tongue twister. Um, Brandon Soderberg is here with us, a great journalist and Baltimorean. Brandon, how are you doing?
0: Oh, I'm doing great. I'm like so excited to uh, be on this podcast with two other people who have... Uh, surnames that are often mispronounced so i feel like we're we got that we got reba and that we have other things in common but reba and that right now is great
1: <laughs> did i say it right or did i say it wrong
0: no you did it you said it right um i usually just let it go because i i don't know i just don't feel like correcting people so i really appreciate you getting it correct
2: but well yeah. at least y'all do like you i don't know what's worse i've only had it my like you two have like names that are pronounced incorrectly and i have a name that people just like don't even try they just kind of say like johnny uh how do you pronounce your name and then i just kind of <laughs> say it and and they say like oh, okay cool and then i just have to like say something it rhymes with and then we like awkwardly laugh usually
1: yeah that's that it. i mean like i also try to just ignore it you know when people say my name wrong but it's also like it's so bad either way. I like, I do want people to like try to do it because I feel like the way it is pronounced, Weiner like is the less bad version, you know? So I'm like, no, it's not Weiner, you know, not like Anthony Weiner, you know, there's like so many negative associations there, so. Um, but, but yeah, uh, thank you again for joining us on the podcast where the revolution has already been televised, um, as we all know. Can you just give us a little bit of context on your own journey with Reba? Like, how did you get into her work?
0: Um, I mean, my experience with Reba started with, like, music videos on CMT as a kid. Um, You know, there was something about the the drama and the comedy of some of the Reba music videos that really grabbed me, even Mm -hmm. as, like, a six-year-old, which is really strange to think about. I feel like I identified it as, like, somehow not, like, it's, it was so clearly not what I was supposed to be watching that I somehow would stumble upon them. And, like, I think some of the, like, sentimentality of them really sort of weirdly moved me as a kid. So I really remember that. Like, you know, there's uh, a couple of really good videos that also do that thing that so many videos, especially country music videos. Like, there's this Travis Tripp videos where he's, like, a... Um, uh, a, uh, a vietnam veteran and there's the Garth brooks videos, like kind of the <laughs> we don't yeah that's a whole other podcast sorry, right but exactly. like, um, especially because travis church now like full maga main yeah MAG. he but, actually
1: um, has blocked me on twitter
0: just for, uh, i don't know i
1: don't know why but you know i offended yeah. him once so
0: like feels like if someone were doing the kind of videos he was doing in the early nineties, he would be very offended by them now, but, but that's neither here nor there. Um. So like there, like these videos where, you know, the music, music uh, goes down or stops and there's like a dramatic scene that kind of feels like uh, like uh, lifetime ish or something in a way that I really, somehow really resonated for me, I think cause I felt Aww. like I wasn't supposed to be watching it. And some of it was like, <laughs> like similar to the show, like there's it, it I think of like it, the the sort of weird class uh consciousness or whatever of hmm. the Reba world is very somehow really connected. Like I felt like I saw my, especially my grandmother, and some some sent my mom. And then my parents were super young when they had me; they were only teenagers. So sort oh, of God. anyway, those videos really moved me. And also, like I just think that like it was, clearly wasn't for me, so it was intriguing. Like it wasn't oh, like right. it was like. Dirty or or anything yeah. just like that, like uh, I'm not supposed to watch it, so it was intriguing, so there was that, and then later on, like um when the show was on, especially like it just became one of these things that I was sort of intrigued by, and like again, kind of the same thing, like I really appreciated the sincerity of it and how it aligns with the music in some ways, even though in some ways this is very much just like kind of a a a sitcom exactly where right. I think it would be like it it gets similar to Reba's music, it gets these really uh It goes to these places. It goes there in ways you wouldn't expect it to, you know. And I have this really vivid memory um, that (laughs) I'm laughing already, which is a friend of mine. um, His first job out of um, college, like his first, you know, job job, Mm -hmm. was uh, he worked for some sort of like military contractors. He was like a science guy. Um, And he got to his desk. Um, and, of course, the desk was completely empty, and he had, like, a laptop, and he says, you make it your own. And the computer had been cleared, except that the computer had a the files for Reba's Greatest Hits <laughs> 2 on it. So he, would, he was the only thing on this, like, 2005 computer. And so it also, like, like that was, like, a thing that we just ended up talking about. And then we, like, of course, I downloaded it. So he was just at work. <laughs> in retrospect probably designing like things to bl- bomb other countries <laughs> listening to reba um and then like fancy became like just the song me and all my dumb uh drug-taking friends would uh listen to. <laughs> um it kind of just had this extra you know kind of again the kind of weird just i keep going with sincerity that's and that's obviously an incredible cover of an incredible song but right. you know there was just yeah those those are sort of my reba memories is like associating with like My white trash family, (laughs) and then just sort of this weird thing that that my uh, friend had because he just kind of made it. This it was like a weird endurance test. Like he just went to work every day and did his work and listened to Reba all day.
1: (laughs) Oh my god, that was
0: like the game.
1: (laughs) Wow. So then he would come home.
2: Sorry, like No, no, go ahead. Is he still
0: like a normal (laughs) person? I mean, yeah, yeah, he's all right. Uh, Yeah, Um, but like, so you would like, and then you know, like, like we're also like 22 and you know not doing anything real and like sort of figuring out the world but like to be hanging out like smoking weed and then you'd be like talk about some other reba thing or like the guitar on this song is really it's a very weird way to like get into reba so those are kind of my memories um of you know and then in between that i think it's just like the weirdness of like um experiencing and being really interested in, again, moved by country music in different ways, and then there being this strange, like, sort of sitcom that was uh, <laughs> sort of also projecting those same sort of ideas and, yeah, I guess, values in the same aesthetic in a certain way. It's very weird. Yeah, but I, think, yeah. I
1: mean, no, no. it's definitely
2: interesting. Like, those, those videos were, like... I mean, a lot of country music videos from, like, 1990 on, like, they were, like, very silly, but also, like, very earnest like that's what made them silly is that like they weren't trying to be like ironic or anything and that's like also how i feel like the the show is too i mean if you it's if you actually like lean into it if you kind of like drop your sort of like not trying to be cool when you just actually watch it it's like really earnest and like really trying to like talk about things but obviously if you give it a cursory watch or just kind of like know of it it looks like the silliest like goofiest thing in the world I mean, it is that too but like what you're talking about is like it it does kind of uh, catch you off guard a little
0: bit yeah that's a great way of explaining it yeah it just has a certain uh it kind i mean it is like a lot of good country music especially as country music became sort of this weird ascendant pop thing in the 90s like mm-hmm. it just sort of plays the game and like it all kind of has the right sounds and whatever and does the right stuff but you can kind of but if you're you're listening to it or noticing more closely if you feel like it like you said kind of open up to it there's a lot more there and the sitcom kind of has a lot of that right. actually like cuz it really does look as you guys have all kind of addressed on the show like it really kind of has this very cheap quality to it like all the actors look like i mean i wrote down that the actors kind of look like it's also another very early memory of like there's that one land of confusion genesis video with all the puppets like (laughs) all the characters without like comment i'm not commenting on their physical appearance in any way but like everyone just looks like a slightly different version of a more famous person (laughs) (laughs) and that was kind of so like there's something like if you're yeah kind of all feels off but if you kind of lock in there's a lot going on there yeah as this podcast is explored. <laughs>
1: Definitely. I mean, basically, my takeaway from your your stories about Reba is basically just that you get the vision yeah. you know, of the pod, which is yeah. just like the deeper significance of all yeah. things Reba really. I mean, we, we can have
2: a lot of guests on the <laughs> yeah. show, and I don't know that the answer to like what's your Reba background <laughs> is, gonna, is gonna be able to match like yeah. <laughs> the weird government.
0: It's gonna be that, that insane. It's- <laughs>
1: No, yours is definitely the best. Also, your friend's, like, Reba U.S. military (laughs) journey seems like performance art. Like, you could have just chronicled it, and it would probably be in a museum. Like, the best time I listened to Reba's greatest hits, like, 7,000 times and worked for the military.
0: Exactly. I'm just imagining like the dumpiest computer and the only files on it are like Winamp or whatever files of a record is like, it's really like, there's probably
2: like something that they needed to be on that computer that would have required deleting that, you know, at some point, I don't know. It's not, I'll make do without it. Like the, the the country can can make do.
0: Yeah. I mean, I assume that like, it was just whoever was working at that computer before him put that yeah. on there to listen to or something. And then, yeah, just, yeah, exactly. Like it wasn't as easy to delete as everything else or it was missed <laughs> somehow. So yeah. Uh, greatest hits two too. It's a study that it's the second greatest hits. Right. Hit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The second greatest hits. It doesn't have like the real bangers, yeah. but you imagine, know, it's got, it's got some. Imagine
2: like where our country would be at from like a, Infrastructure standpoint, if your friend <laughs> hit it, the greatest hits one,
0: imagine if everyone in the military in, involved in the military industrial complex understood the complexity of the song "Fancy," we'd be in a very that's different true. place.
1: That's that's really real. But um before we like completely dive off the deep end into Reba. I wanted to talk about your work a tiny bit, and I know it's hard to be short-winded, you know, whatever, because it's, you write about super interesting stuff that we could definitely devote like several podcasts to, but, um, <laughs> you know, your book came out last year, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. So um, my book, um, sorry.
1: It's called I've Got a Monster, mm. and it's a story about basically in-depth investigative reporting on this specific Baltimore police task force that was kind of like notoriously corrupt. Um, and you know, I just started reading it. It's great, like super compelling stuff, obviously. Uh, how did you kind of like get to the point of like, well, I'm going to write a book about, you know, this super, uh, intense hardcore police stuff, which I can't even imagine, but basically (laughs) like your writing career in like the nugget form, which I know is really hard.
0: Sure. Yeah, thanks for checking it out. And yeah, it's like it's just I mean, basically, like, in some ways, like, it's just this police squad of seven guys that were um, robbing people robbing drug dealers, redealing drugs, planning evidence, stealing a ton of overtime from the city. And just like, I mean, by the federal government stance, like running a criminal enterprise within the Baltimore Police Department. Um, In fact, when they were charged, there was this debate because when you do conspiracy charges, like with the mob or gangs or so-called gangs, mm-hmm. um, there's always sort of has to be an enterprise. And there was kind of this amazing moment in court because the defense attorneys defending these dirty cops were like, well, this doesn't work. Like there's no enterprise. And the federal government was like, no, 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 You misunderstand. The police department is the enterprise. Like they're, you know, it's really kind of powerful. Wow. Um, but yeah. So, and like, and I try to push, with the book like we me and my co-writer Baynard really tried to write something that was um, kind of compelling and narrative like we didn't there's this idea in journalism I think especially that like if especially in like sort of investigative journalism that if a story is like quote unquote important then you can kind of make it boring it doesn't have to be interesting and like (laughs) we really wanted to kind of fight that Mm -hmm. and also this story is just like completely nuts in a lot of ways there's a lot of really wild stuff Um, and really briefly it started tied to music actually which is in 2014 i was um at the baltimore city paper the alt weekly um here in baltimore that closed in 2017 i was there um and i was writing about music and film and and like nightlife and club culture which i'd sort of started to report on police because like black clubs i was going to were getting raided and things like that we've baltimore club music here which like sort of an after hours and underground thing, so cops raid those events mm. anyway um so i sort of entered into that anyway i was writing about a rapper here that was like wildly popular his name was young moose mm. and like i was hearing moose on the bus like kids would be listening to it, and i was like what are all these kids listening to that i've never heard of like what is this so i was like a weird creepy white guy was like hey <laughs> kids what are you listening to he's like moose i was like oh, okay so i like kind of got i started asking him about it realize this guy's like a lot of like you know mixtape rappers where they're like the kings of, like, their section of the city or the city. Um, anyway, while I was doing that, I started to hear about how the cops were messing with him, and they were um, this rapper. So they were using his lyrics as evidence and probable cause. They were using his music videos. So, like, he has a gun in a music video, and they said that's violating his probation. Like, just completely crazy First Amendment stuff that, like, should right. not happen. It would never happen to a white artist. Anyway, the officer that was doing all this, it really kind of targeted this guy, was this cop named daniel hersel and hersel um through moose's family which me and Boehner got to know were saying he's coming into our store he he uh broke into our safe he took money he uh he uh um i don't know the exact how this really happened but certainly at one point he showed us a door that had been blown off its hinges with some sort of like explosive i have no idea what the cops are oh, doing like baltimore cops are crazy yeah. to be clear anyway um so it was really wild so we we're covering the story we wrote about it um another great writer our, our great writer in baltimore d watkins has a book called the beast side and he wrote about moose a little bit so it's getting a little bit of energy and interest um and then we continued to cover it and that was sort of one of my entries into really covering dirty cops anyway you flash forward from 2014 to 2017 and we're all, I'm getting the text early in the morning that are like, a bunch of cops are gonna, are being indicted today. It's it was really wild. And when their names came up, one of them was Herschel. Mm-hmm. And I was just sort of blown away because I had been in, like, sort of the thing that Boehner and I always say is like, we had been covering this First Amendment story for a while and sort of using it as an entryway into like the corruption of the Baltimore Police Department. But like everyone else in the city, we had missed this massive story that was sort of hiding of these, this gang of cops. Who were doing like fourth amendment violations and worse anyway yeah so like this day of this the day that this happens we're like oh, okay well there's a lot more of the story than just one cop harassing one guy right. and that's sort of how it started and then in 2018 there was a trial and the trial was just nuts in terms of the stuff that was being revealed and stuff like that and then during and one day during the trial um we started to talk about how there was a book here and we felt it was a book we'd really be Equipped to write because, like, my sourcing has always been sort of uh uh, drug dealers and other people like that. I I can get them to talk to me. I can't get like the mayor or the any any public officials (laughs) to talk to me, but I I can get like drug dealers and gang dudes and stuff like that to talk to me. And so that was that was kind of our entryway into the story as well as starting to find these people who had been victimized. Many of them were in the underground economy because that was like a great scam they had was. You rob someone, steal all their drugs, or steal all their cash, or both. Arrest them for some of the drugs, or some of, or a gun, and then they're probably not going to say, "Well, actually, you know, I had, you know, two kilograms of cocaine in my basement, not one." And the cops stole, and so that was kind of the entryway. So the book kind of then just deals with this um, last year or so of these cops, where they all kind of go together, got together, and really went wild, and it parallels it's the aftermath of the uprising here in 2015 when Freddie was killed. When also I always try to stress this that like, while the department of justice was here investigating the police department, these guys were doing this. So that's that's just something to think about when we cheer on like (laughs) consent decrees and this kind of police reform, but that was already too long. So yeah, that's kind of the book. Uh, um, (laughs) Yeah. It's, I feel like it's pretty good. I feel like it's an entertaining read. People tell me they read it in like a day, which is like the best compliment. So yeah, check it out if you're interested. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah, definitely. And that, yeah, the, uh, it, I, I remember reading about just the story, like as it was developing, I, I, I might have read you you guys' original reporting on it. And wasn't the Moose, the rapper, wasn't he like also it, sort of in retaliation to this police brutality? Wasn't he rapping about these cops, sort of, and putting them in? Yes, them yes. In his lyrics?
0: Yeah, like there, he that it 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 became like hyper meta. Yeah, thanks for remembering that. Like, yeah, like Moose started rapping about these about the cops messing with him, and he started naming Hersell and these other cops um, by name. And then there's like one verse where he talks about his first encounter with Hersell, which was back when he was like 13 or 14, and he had like sort of a rapper name at the time, Loose Tooth. And so like (laughs) then you would go through like old probable causes and stuff of Moose, and you'd be able to like literally sometimes like his lyrics were just like directly reflecting what had happened to him and it was really usually it was so it was a kind of amazing be able to use rap lyrics to fact check (laughs) the police in a certain way it's really, but yeah he was he started really rapping about these guys by name and that kind of also then offended the cops more but also i think in some way of this funny or not funny but messed up thing where there's sort of this rapper who's like king of his block and then this like dirtbag plainclothes cop who gets excited because he wants to take down sure. the king of his block, and then he gets in. Into... It's very weird. It ends up being uh, totally not even in the book, barely at all, because the book is just bigger scope. Right. But there's a really compelling well, I and mean, it's crazy. There too.
2: I think that like the way it played out, you know, and all of the reporting that goes into your book, what what all of that proves is like then when you go back and look at it, like on one side, obviously it validates everything he said. You know, I'm sure there were people who who were skeptical of what was said in those lyrics. So on one on one hand, like it validates that, but on the other hand, it kind of makes you think like, wow, like I bet he, like, did he even know what he was messing with? Like he, he didn't probably realize the scope of of how bad these dudes were, how bad these cops were, you know, when he was calling yeah, them yeah, out I for think, what they were doing to him.
0: Yeah, it's kind of an incredible story where like the only people that have been talking about this, the the most and the longest or people that have been messed with by right. them and Moosey he's really kind of a hero. Um, and there's a, there's a, there's a drug, a drug dealer in this, in the, in the book, the book begins with a guy named O'Ree Stevenson who um, ends up being a real hero in his own way too for um, he basically gets forced to testify against them a little bit of a spoiler, but, um, but he, these guys who like decided not to just sure. take it, because they had some reasons they were able to not take it, really are like the heroes of this story, and yeah, at the time, like the Baltimore Sun reporters and stuff just thought I was some dopey liberal who you know was being hoodwinked by these rappers that were really criminals, yeah. and like I was like, no, no no I'm like going to the he's like showing me. He's showing me the things that happened to him. He has video of it. He has cell phone footage of it. So, yeah, it's really interesting. Like, it's like, I mean, it's really just a message for reporters, too, of, like, you need to listen to the people that are, like, being affected by this the most. Like, that's where you need to start these stories. For
1: sure. For sure. I mean – And I know this is like only tangentially related, but (laughs) because this is a podcast about a TV show, I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't mention The Wire, you know, because I feel like that's a lot of people's only association with like Baltimore police. If you don't like live there, you know, or whatever. But like, what if you could pick like one thing that that show like misrepresented that you wish people like, would understand better like what would it be
0: um i think it's that it's 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 a very good show but it's far too generous to the police in the city which may be saying something if you've seen the show like (laughs) corruption and brutality is kind of incidental but i believe that it's central to the department here especially and then this this, the 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 show and david simon's approach um i think has this idea that, um, you know, police are, there's these things that hinder police from doing a good job. And like this sort of shows fetishization of investigative work, which I understand the impulse towards it, but like, it's just, I just don't believe it. I don't buy it. I haven't seen it like this, that like investigations are, the department is full of, Perks and carvers that's who it's full of always and like and then sometimes those guys get get you know pushed up and the idea that um there's this sort of cops they're just caught up in the bureaucracy it's like no no, no. like the stats and all these <laughs> things are what is the police department like you can't you have to, this idea that there's some other way to do it um i just think it's really right one of the more, I guess, um, I don't want to critique the show too much, but one of the more dangerous things of the show to suggest that like there's good investigations. I mean, I, again, I'll try to right. keep this rant short, but <laughs> I've been really obsessed with gun units and this idea that like gun units are really replacing drug units because we all kind of are finally understanding even like meathead cops that like, you know, arresting people for drugs is a waste of time. Right. So he sort of moved it to guns, but like, it's really the same thing and like, I recently did a story for, story for the site, The Appeal, about D.C.'s gun cops. It's the same thing. They just drive around and stop every black person they see and eventually get a gun, and then they just do that all day, every day. Sometimes, you know, In Baltimore, sometimes these cops are doing it 30 to 40 times a night, and like that's what the department is. Like The idea there's some amazing other kind of policing, it's like, no, it's this messed up, Fourth Amendment violating, a completely unconstitutional machine that just grinds up yeah. people who are in the underground economy for all these reasons then are stuck in the underground economy because cops are fucking with them all the time. Right. Like this is this loop. And I think Simon sort of has a little bit of a sentimentality for the idea that there's a good kind of policing. And I just would really push right. back on that. I mean,
2: the, the show definitely like, it, one of the things that make it such a good, just sort of like story time narrative, like compelling thing is this kind of like, I feel like at the core of it is that there's these two sides and there's this sort of like, Game recognized game, like respect between the two sides. And it's like, it's so blatant that these cops don't respect any of these people that they're policing, you know, in these certain parts of the city. And it's that's, I, I kind of agree with what you're thinking. It's kind of like a, a dangerous way of looking at it, assuming that they go into these areas with this sort of like degree of like respect and gamesmanship for it. It's when you actually look at what they're doing to these people.
0: Yeah, totally. That's that's exactly it. Yeah.
2: Now would you have yeah. a segue into Reva?
0: <laughs> I think we just gotta like kinda keep it moving. like don't
2: yeah. I mean I'm waiting for there I'm waiting for like season three to for there to be like I mean I haven't seen the we're I haven't seen any of the episodes. I'm waiting for there to be like possibly a corrupt cop episode.
1: I mean, there's definitely going to be a whole season at the dock
2: right? <laughs> for,
1: for Reba heading down to Houston at the bay or whatever. I don't know what Houston's port situation is like, but I bet I bet it's going to happen. Um, Reba will just wisecrack her way out of it as she does want to. Um, but yes, okay, Reba. Season one, episode seven, we've arrived. Uh, Johnny... Do you want to give us some context about this episode?
2: Yeah, uh, seventh episode, it's called Tea and Antipathy. Um, it is written by Chris Alberghini and Mike Kessler, uh, who also co-wrote the previous episode that we covered, The Man in the Moon. Uh, so this one, uh, it aired on November 16th, 2001. So we're like coming up on the first thanksgiving post 9 11 so like a lot of people will be seeing family <laughs> that they like haven't seen in person since 9 yeah. 11 so they're going to tell that story of like where they were and all that that's true um that's true. and it had 4.9 million u.s viewers which is it's
1: absolutely insane that's <laughs>
2: crazy a notch below the last episode but still pretty high up uh for for season one of i mean
1: in the last episode like we had internet we had cheyenne mooning people you know there was a lot to kind of like grab onto the yeah. zeitgeist the message and, like, boards were sex cells crazy. and stuff so. yeah <laughs> it just drew people drew people in um but this one, this one had its moments too. Um, you can try and sum it up right. quickly, Quick. right?
2: Uh, synopsis.
1: Yeah, I mean, so it starts. Uh, Reba's in the kitchen as she tends to be at the beginning of these <laughs> episodes. Um, Cheyenne is like refolding Van's socks um, because he likes them a particular way, which is weird. Um, And (laughs) so she's basically like complaining about Reba not like doing enough to help her when it's kind of insane because it seems like Reba does literally everything for her. But she's just kind of complaining about like minute details about there and Van's life that aren't like up to her expectations. And then she kind of is just like, all right, we'll move out and we'll get an apartment. Um, And Reba's like, all right, I'd like to see you try. Like, you're high schoolers and you don't have any money. (laughs) Um, And so they try. They don't have money. Cheyenne asks her dad for money. He won't do it either, even though he gives her, like, $60, apparently, just to try and get her to stop asking him for things. (laughs) Um, And then Van, Cheyenne's like, Van, you need to ask your parents, too. Now Johnny. Do you want to fill us in on Van's parents and what they're about? Yeah,
2: well, they're, um, they're rich. We don't know in what way. He's kind of got, like, um, I don't know, like, tenured professor vibes or prosecuting attorney vibes. Um, <laughs> he's, uh, just, like, the stereotype of, I guess, like, a southern housewife um, Suburban, suburban southern homie, housewife like whatever. rich yeah. suburban southern housewife with obsessed with her uh appearance and her her weight constantly on elliptical so yeah he goes there um you know in between scenes we don't see this happen he comes back with the truck that they bought uh at the time we think them we think it's a gift to cheyenne and van and so uh cheyenne sees the truck she freaks out He says um, that there's great news because they invited us to live with them and they've got a mansion. So they're just kind of like no longer thinking about an apartment because they've got a maid who will fold his socks the right way. And (laughs) so they're going to go back. (laughs) And then we find out, unsurprisingly, that the truck was not for them. The truck was, Van misinterpreted all of this. Uh, He. The truck was for him and the invite back home was to him because he had been kicked out. So they were just saying, you can move back in. But Cheyenne was not invited. And to be fair,
1: like Reba had been kind of astounded when they like invited, when one man came back with this truck and was like, yeah, it's great. We can move in. Because she was like, your parents like literally kicked you out and said they were like disowning you because you got this girl pregnant and whatever. And all this stuff, and so Reba was like, "What inspired this change of heart?" You know, and you don't really get a good answer for that. But as it turns out, it was just like Van misinterpreting
2: it, right? So, and they kind of like played that like as if it might be sour grapes because she was moving out. Uh, they were moving out of her place, but and so this is all resolved by Reba giving Van a pep talk to go finally stand up to his parents and say that they have to accept his wife or he's not moving in. And so they, he gets the courage, but he needs Reba to go with him because he's still clearly very scared of them. And <sighs> he basically tells them off. And then he stands up for Reba when they question, you know, they basically call Cheyenne a slut and call her a bad mom. And he stands yeah. up for them both. And they move back in with Reba. And then there's also a strange and less high stakes uh, (laughs) B-plot that involves uh, the daughter whose name I will not ever remember. Kira, Kira. Uh, With Brock, her dad, which is like just classic, uh, you know, like divorced uh, parents. They don't, he doesn't want to see, she doesn't want to see her dad on the day she's supposed to see her dad. And then because he's just a shitty dad, is kind of like, well, that works for me because I don't know how to talk to her. Um, right. He's like,
1: she scares me,
2: right. you which know, is which is like, okay,
1: because she's 12. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she does act like kind of borderline sometimes, but um, I mean, yeah. I wouldn't go yeah, somewhere with her
2: of... in public because she would definitely get everyone to laugh at me.
1: What were you saying, yeah, Brennan? I was
0: going to say there's something really interesting. It's maybe obvious, but like that she's, Sort Kira is sort of a mini Reba, so like all the things that, right. in the sense of like she's like smart and assertive and can like tear you down. <laughs> that like the, <laughs> the the dad is obviously terrified of. Yeah. Um, so he takes then, he, and then of course he takes her to that weird tea house, in which she yeah. seems to be dressed like Roger Stone yeah. or something. Gonna,
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's a very weird. Yeah, like, the show sort of imply like they go to a tea house for like six year olds, and she's like. But the show also implies that like this is a thing that like viewers would understand as like as if it's like Chuck E. Cheese, like oh yeah, everybody knows about those fake tea. It's a
1: thing. Okay, you were never a little girl. This is definitely like a thing that little girls are taken to like get fancy tea, and it's supposed to be like I don't know. I don't know where it started. It's probably like Alice in Wonderland or something. I don't know, but. Yeah, it's definitely a thing, but Kira's like, no, I'm not interested in this at all because she's like, I'm a little shit talker. Also, she allegedly has band practice. I was like, okay, I need to hear more about Kira's band. I need some more context for this. Um, But, and then he's like, should we go see a movie? And, uh, or she says it and he's like no Reba said we can't do that because we're supposed to talk to each other and Kira's like I don't want to talk to you and then that's the happily ever after yeah. moment is they go to this movie and don't
2: it's like to they talk to each other I, realize I, uh, that they can't be friends so they'll just go both do something they both that they like away from each other
0: yeah I was I looked up what movies were out around <laughs> oh November God. 16th <laughs> And so the week of November 16th, the two uh, big movies or the two movies that seem the most likely would have been Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Which well, that I think, would have
1: been relevant.
0: Yeah. And also The Wash with uh, Snoop Dogg. Oh, wow. Do you remember that movie? <laughs> uh, sort of a weird, not exactly remake of Car Wash. And then the week before that would have been uh, what Shallow Hal. If You remember that know. movie? Came Brock out. There... seems
1: like he would be a big Shallow Hal fan. Yeah, I see that for
0: him. Yeah, I assume the shallow Brock hanging out in Shallow Hal, and I guess Kira's maybe seeing Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, but yeah. I guess she could be a wild card and go I with the wash. <laughs> I
2: mean, maybe the most likely <laughs> is like seeing Harry Potter, but like wisecracking throughout it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah.
1: No, for sure. But yeah, so Brandon, what, I don't know, what was your initial (laughs) takeaway from this episode?
0: This episode's kind of really, it's really like kind of breezy in a way that some of the more other ones are more sort of, in a good way, like complicated. But like, basically, neither plot line is resolved in a conventional happy ending sense, which is kind of cool, actually. And again, kind of feels like country music lyrics, because basically... um, kira and her dad agree that they kind of don't really have anything in common anything <laughs> to do like that's that's all you get yeah and then the larger plot is that you know basically it's just that like yeah van's parents are really really suck right. they're crappy people and that's kind of and the, you know and like there's sort of these good faith efforts to engage them again even after they kick van out and they just don't work and like it's sort of sly in that way i think like uh, structurally it's kind of clever because you feel like it has a happy ending but the endings and it's funny because obviously she says cheyenne says i love you mom and then uh van uh says i love you dad which is because he's dumb good classic (laughs) dumb guy stuff but um (laughs) but yeah that like it's kind of amazing like in a way that like it's so it's kind of brutal in its own way that's just like yeah sometimes people suck right that's kind of amazing and then the other thing about it is um the way it kind of parses these uh at least to me now but as a I, I would have been in 12th grade in 2001 so um mm-hmm. i probably would have been identified but like now i kind of identify them as like pretty small class differences between the two families but like right i feel like especially like yeah my parents would have been the rebas and i definitely went to school with prick kids who were vans parents Mm -hmm. like van so like there's something interesting about actually useful and kind of uh interesting the way it parses that kind of subtle but important class difference between them that's and it kind of just suggested that a lot of this is like irreconcilable just because these people are jerks but kind of does that in a really kind of breezy way that you don't quite realize how grim that is i kind of really appreciated i
2: mean it's you make a good point that like it's like the the lesson of like the a plot is like sometimes you're not going to love your family or they're not going to love you and the lesson of the b plot is like sometimes you're not going to like your family and they're not going to like you you know? <laughs> yeah, like, know and it's like yeah you just got to roll with it either way you know like one of them's hard one of them's easier to deal with but it's this life
1: yeah that's a good way to put it for sure i mean i think like van's parents definitely were total caricatures in a way that's kind of like okay it's like a little easier to accept that they really suck because they're just like not given much context at all yeah well, um, I, man
2: i but i looked at that like i made a sound that was just like i think i said too real in that moment where like right before van comes to tell them off and she's on the elliptical uh van's mom's on the elliptical and uh van's dad walks in with like a glass of scotch in his in his hand and just like looks at her on the ecliptical and just like looks disgusted at his wife yeah and and then it's like that just kind of sets the, like nothing and then like the scene starts and i was like god they, yeah. like, they just wanted to be like hey let's make sure we establish that like these are also unhappy people who hate each other it's like she's right. like you didn't even it wasn't even yes. necessary to plot. Like, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah like they're they're identifying characteristics they both are are kind of Jerks, but the dad drinks and the mom sort of obsessively exercises. And it like definitely got,
2: definitely towed the line of being like problematic that like she's so body obsessed, like of like how many times they made the joke.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, and I think like the moment that took them out of caricature for me was when Van was kind of saying his piece or whatever, and the dad's like, you can definitely just leave that behind. We thought you were leaving that all behind. Yeah. You know, and it's like, what the fuck? Like, he's having yeah, a kid. Right. He's not going to leave them behind.
0: And Yeah, and even that's, like, kind of I identifies some of the... And the way this show can be, like, very well observed, even though it's really broad, is, like, they kind of judge Reba because their son and Reba's daughter have a kid together. That's Reba right. and the daughter's fault, which is classic, right. just misogyny but also then it's also like about morals but then the morals allow you as the the dad sort of is like you should uh just leave that so i'm like the morals allow them to him to the morals are why this is these poor morals why this has happened but also it's completely morally sound to sure. them, uh leave well, you it also, your wife who is 17 it, like begs yeah.
2: the question of like has he like has he had a kid with someone else before? You know what I mean? It's like very easily, <laughs> yeah. like, this is a very quick solution. Just leave her. Yeah.
0: And I, was, I also wanted to say, like, the dad, I mean, one thing is, I think the dad being played by that actor, um, who I had to look up, oh, we but obviously, him i recognize up too, yeah. him recognizing stuff. Yeah, Sam McMurray, who I re- remember him from, of course, he's really good in Raising Arizona, because he tries to have a threesome, or oh. wife swap with Nicolas <laughs> yeah. Cage. Yeah. And then, he, yeah, and then, Um, He's also uh, Neil's dad on Freaks and Geeks, where he actually plays a kind of similar character because there's a whole plot on that where Neil uh, finds out his dad's cheating. And that's only a year before uh, this episode, I think, is when Freaks Uh and Geeks is on. And then (laughs) I just want to shout out, he's also an FBI agent in the Brian Bosworth movie Stone Cold, which I'm a big (laughs) fan of that that movie. Um, But yeah, so there's kind of, I think that the only, like, like, the the it's almost like the mom i wish was maybe written a little more in depth and had a better a stronger character actor to kind of count i will
2: say like i i thought the line was like i'm like maybe it's just growing up in texas but it was very funny to me like actually like maybe i sound like such a basic person but i was like literally thinking how good of writing it was where she's like no like your your english is bad i said you does not mean you and Cheyenne. It does not mean you both. If we meant you both, we would have said y'all. And I was like, honestly, really such a good line. <laughs> it was a good line. Like, I, like, I, I, I hope there's an opportunity for me to use that line. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, throwing in those little Texas references, even though basically nothing about the show besides them <laughs> has anything to do with Texas. But.
0: Yeah, that was going to be my que- – sorry, that was my question – to to y'all, <laughs> the, um, uh, do, do, does the sort of class dynamics that I just observe as like sort of upper middle class, uh, white people like is that, does, is there any sort of Texasness specifically in there? This sort of like Reba's family versus this other family, where ostensibly the difference is probably like a hundred thousand dollars in yearly income between them or something.
2: I mean, yeah, like I mean, I grew up here. It's, it's hard to say. I mean, there's like. I would definitely say like that would be a similar dynamic of like my family if you like put it in those terms of like yeah my like i did not grow up struggling at all but most but so many people i would go to school with were came from much much more wealth or like from actual wealth from like you know not having a good job but actually having like generational wealth and like In Texas, I think a lot of things, I mean, similar in the South, but in Texas, like things are just exaggerated. So, like, the way they wear that on their sleeve is through like giant expensive trucks or like, (laughs) I don't know, I mean, big houses are everywhere, but like, I mean, land.
1: It was also like her doing exercise, like, while full, like her hair fully done and like makeup on, you know, like that was definitely supposed to be like, well, this is a rich lady thing. You know what I mean? Right. And Reba is, like, comparatively unadorned. Yeah. You know, she's in her classic turtleneck that she loves. She's been wearing a turtleneck for, like, for, I think, the majority of the episodes we've seen.
2: Yeah. But, no, it's, I mean, it's a good point. I mean, I'm sure it's, like, like you said, I mean, I think it's they played it in a way that I think, like, works for any kind of audience. But, I mean, they're definitely, I mean, obviously, it's, like, that's no coincidence that, yeah, like, a truck, like, When I just made that example, I was literally thinking about my life. Like, I was not connecting to the fact that he gets a truck in this episode. Like, I just is dawning on me right now. Like, that was just like a thing. Like, people bought their kids, like, decked out really expensive trucks. And, like, I don't know. I mean, they clearly, obviously, their kids loved it. So it was just like a toy or whatever. But, like, there's definitely some signifier of, like, well, we don't want, you know, people to think our kid isn't. A rich kid, I you know.
0: Right. Yeah, totally.
1: Um, I feel like we also just need to note one that Kira like the whole presentation of their hanging out, like her and her dad. It was like Reba was like, "Oh, you're going on a date with your dad." It was like, "Why do we need to drive home this point?" Yeah. <laughs> and like that, he like comes to the door in a suit and has like a rose for her, and she's like all in a dress and stuff. Which I guess, I mean, I, I mean, I don't have a relationship with my dad, so this is not a thing I'm familiar with. But I know it's a thing to do, like father daughter dances or whatever. But like even the. The good moment was, like, they have this whole, like, weird, awkward moment at the door when he's, like, bringing her this rose and picking her up for their quote-unquote date. And she's like, this is so disturbing. (laughs) And she's, like, walking out the door. And it's like, right, so why did we even do this facade? I don't know. Maybe it was just to set up the whole thing that, like, nobody really understands Kira or something.
2: Yeah. I mean, that she's kind of a different kid. You know, that, like, a more proper girl or i don't know like uh less quirky girl would have just like embraced that as like a cute thing i guess i don't know
1: i guess i mean it
2: is also weird that like i mean i guess it's not that weird because these kids are like different age and different gender but like he like only like ever hangs out with them one at a time like you'd think that (laughs) he could just take like there's there's not things that you can't like you can take Three kids to dinner, and that be a thing, and then go watch a movie at his house or something. Like, no, no, it's like some weird. But
1: then they would all be off camera, John. That's
2: true. Well, no, that could be one giant episode. Is just the three of that. Like, give Reba, Reba. There wasn't a moment Reba had to like host the CMAs or something, and this is a full rock episode with like heavy on the Barbara Jean. We got zero Barbara Jean in this yeah. episode.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, that was a little bit... I mean, there wasn't even a moment where Barbara Jean... I feel like Barbara Jean interfacing with Van's parents right. could have led to some good some good laughs. But... Um, yeah.
2: She could have barged into yeah, that room with the elliptical. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. Should we try to start doing some of our segments? Yeah, we should. We should get to some of them, Johnny. Um, Remember, since we've already we've got we're on an extra long episode, yeah. but that's because we're talking about actually important things, right. as, as well as we. <laughs> um, no, we're talking about actually important things. Also, you know, Brandon's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, but
2: yeah, yeah. So can you? Let's see. What should we get to first? Um, I think we can get to like what's becoming the most obvious one or has been the most obvious one and it's especially it's more of like this is the crazy category when when it's not banned and that's the uh the Dion Waiters award. Nope shit. (laughs) (laughs) No we have to edit that out. (laughs) This the award that's not that. I don't I mean I don't know if any other podcast has an award called that. But we (laughs) have the jr smith award um that is awarded to the character who kind of made the biggest most obvious blunder but then we still like love them at the end or or they're still they're still sort of obviously lovable at the end and i i think like natalie turned to me in the middle of the episode that unless you have a different idea brandon that it's got to be van
0: Oh, yeah. Van is the Jera Smith of this yeah. episode, fully, yeah. <laughs> I mean... He's cause... navigating so much, and exactly. he's trying his best, <laughs> and he does it all wrong, but I well, you know, appreciate it. I was best. thinking,
2: like, okay, like, when she, when you said that, Ali, you turned to me, you were like, it's, I mean, it's obviously Van here, and <laughs> I was thinking, like, okay, like, how is... Like, just trying to, oh, it's him again, like, is this getting boring, is there a new way to talk about this? And the one thing I was thinking by the end of the episode is that, like, Maybe, I'm, or maybe you guys have a different opinion, but I think if you watch enough episodes of this, like, just the way they're written, and honestly, like, they're both pretty good actors, Van and Reba are are definitely the most likable characters, whether it's, like, through their actions or just how funny they are or how... It's like, Van's an idiot, but he's really funny and well-intentioned. Reba's the only smart character, and she's funny and and every dumb person drives her crazy and so like having an episode where they like kind of team up seemed like they yeah, like part true. of me thought that like okay we need to have an episode that's like reba and uh and ban going dude, and doing something together and then they wrote this episode around it
1: yeah no i yeah. go ahead i
0: was yeah i mean like yeah like van van's timing in this episode is, the actor's timing is really good at time like there's a couple of things he delivers really well and you kind of understand why he does all the dumb stuff he does like when you know, when <laughs> like they're good when cheyenne still thinks they're gonna move into the other parents house and he's downstairs to reba being like yeah that ain't gonna happen i'm confused like there's just like you understand yeah. where his, his actions are coming from and it works really well and then having reba sort of uh, try to course correct as much as possible like creates like the right level of like hijinks mm-hmm. in all of their exchanges <laughs> yeah. it's really nice and like
2: honestly like there's yeah. a point where you kind of know you're like obviously this is going to culminate with with him defending Reba at his parents and like right. you, I, I honestly you think that and as you're thinking you're just like and it's gonna be like so satisfying like I know what's gonna happen <laughs> and I'm not gonna like be like oh predictable and be like yes I was waiting for that and it felt really good
1: <laughs> I mean the moment when I said that to Johnny that like he was definitely gonna get it was when like uh it's when they're talking to his parent to Van's parents and his mom's like no, we didn't say that you could both. You we said that you could move in yeah, or whatever. And he's in. like, but yeah, but he's like when you say you said you and I'm married, so that means us. And I was like,
2: "Oh." Yeah. No, he, he <laughs> like, Aw, That's so really cute. loudly. Like it honestly <laughs> impacted her. Like she was emotionally impacted by that line. <laughs>
1: it was sweet so i was like yeah he's you know he made a mistake a classic van blunder but he redeemed himself." also
2: i don't know if this is like this is off topic but like if this is like some sort of class thing that i've been unaware of do if you don't roll up your socks and you just fold them do they not sag on your feet on your legs (laughs) is that like an actual like life hack that because most of my socks (laughs) eventually like go like they sag too much and i have to like buy new ones does that, like, prevent that from happening?
0: Th- I don't that's know. A good, that's a good question. I kind of read it as just, like... He's an idiot. Van is, again, not very <laughs> smart, so he has superstitions <laughs> or something. I don't know it's, it's like... I feel like this is even from some dopey sitcom, but, like, oh, no, you got to put the cheese on the sandwich before you put the ham <laughs> on the sandwich or something. It's like, what are you talking about? You, you know, I feel like that's from some, like... Family Matters episode sure. or something I have in my head. I don't know, but like yeah, like I felt like it was maybe that kind of like goofy superstition. Like, yeah. But yeah. I
1: maybe. mean, I think it could be real because like, you know, if you put your socks in a ball, like you are gonna stretch out the elastic a little yeah. bit. I mean, I feel like it would take a long time still for that to actually have an impact. Also, like putting them in the dryer does that too. True. So
2: I'm gonna know. pick one pair and I'm gonna try it. And I'll check back. Ben, we'll have you back on again in, uh, in a
0: year. Let's, yeah. We'll buy the same pair of socks. We'll, do this. we'll coordinate when we wear these socks, how many uh, miles we walk in these socks, how when we wash them. It'll be a really important uh, experiment that we'll yeah. do over the next year.
2: Okay. So a new, I'm
0: excited to the results of the that.
2: The next category we have um, is most like incongruous moment which i don't have one off the top of my head but basically just it could be anything it could be a line that like why was that line in there it could be the placement of a a prop it could just be a scene that was totally insane um does anybody have something that like jumps out the top of their head i
0: i I, this isn't exactly it i mean i think in some i thought it was the the
2: right, room yeah, thing. but
0: I just didn't think that was a, I just didn't think it was a real <laughs> yeah. thing, so I guess my backup would be again that uh, Rock is dressed sort of like to me, very Roger Stone like. <laughs> the only other thing that really struck me is like, um, Cheyenne is so uh, conniving about money in this episode <laughs> for understandable reasons. She feels desperate, but it's like so, she feels desperate, but it's so like brutal and like
2: honestly, kind of creepy and weird in a way that I don't want to talk about when she was yeah. like talking to her dad it was
1: yeah
2: yeah. <laughs> it, it, yeah I don't know I think I like we know it was just weird yeah that's a good one that's a good point yeah
1: I think that is a good one it's definitely like off-putting because Cheyenne like generally seems like a pretty normal-ish person I mean definitely a little spoiled and like pretty self-absorbed but like not deranged but like in this episode it was like with the money she was like yeah give me more you know like I'll take this blah blah blah. it's like okay relax your parents like give you everything you know (laughs) like you're not in need here yeah Uh,
2: well like it goes back to what we talk about with Cheyenne of like I mean she's not I guess she's not stupid there she's just kind of like you said conniving but like they play Cheyenne's intelligence and her like morals with depending on like what fits the episode like she might be smart in an episode she might be dumb she might be like you know just like the one that kind of has the great point of view or is like conniving I which I guess like teenager I guess that's a fair (laughs) that's not totally unreasonable he's
1: just moody (laughs) um I mean I think mine would be like uh the jake video game thing like he's like playing i mean every jake moment is more or less in congress (laughs) because he doesn't really have any like helpful narratives or like reasons to exist yeah maybe they're just waiting from the age
0: the note i had was it's like he's a child of theirs that died and he's a ghost (laughs) 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 or something like i mean
2: <laughs> the, the video game thing—he has
0: no effect on anything. No. Other than
2: oh, no. up for oh no, that is game. true. Like the the video game thing was so lazy that, like, you know, the writers' room is just like every week it's like six p.m. and they all want to get home, and they're like, "All right, great episode." And They're just like, "Wait, did we put Jake in?" And they're just like, "Fuck!" And they're like, "All right, we got to figure out how to get this fucking kid in there." um Reba will just be playing a video game with him, and and then he can like sit on the staircase, all creepy, like while they do the scene.
1: Right. Also, the line where Reba's like, "Wait, what's up?" and it's like, "Come yeah, on, there's... she's not like an imbecile." <laughs> like the whole point of the show is that like Reba's smarter than yeah. everybody else. I'm sure she could figure <laughs> it's out what a game up boy. is. There's the
2: game very board. clearly enough button. It just it, it's an arrow <laughs> that points up, like.
1: yeah okay what what do Uh, we have next
2: well we have the um we have the reba feminist icon moment the moment where she really stood out as kind of uh pushing progressive ideas forward
1: kind of think i mean we got a little bit of her like defending cheyenne you know and herself you know to the parents just kind of be like how dare you judge me you know like what are you talking about you know i think that kind of has to be it basically yeah because she's just sort of like yeah like what are you talking like literally what are you saying that like i let my daughter get pregnant or whatever you know like you know that's not how this works (laughs) like and all this stuff so I think it's kind of it's a beat we've already hit you know with Reba she's kind of already done this bit of like being like no it's like you can't judge my daughter like alone you know this is her and Van's shared responsibility and you know I support her and that doesn't make me a bad mom and all this stuff you know
2: yeah and I mean like yeah and just the idea of her being like it happened like I think she said like well it happened and so it's just like the notion of getting over things and doing the right thing. I mean, that's not, you right. know, uh, it's, yeah, it's that typical thing of like her just being the best person in the show. Yeah,
0: <laughs> And I, I do think that it, the way that that mo- moment kind of gets like more complicated in this one is she's sort of navigating like three or four different things. Like there's the defense of her and her daughter and kind of just women in general. Cause it's, garbage man is this basically being like this is your fault it's always women's fault but there's also again this slight class consciousness stuff going on where she has to fight argue with these rich people who have crappy morals she's also sort of the only adult among all of the characters and that of course falls on her because she's a she's a woman and she has she doesn't has doesn't have the ability to shirk that responsibility and so it kind of does add a little bit of there's kind of a couple layers to it that are interesting and then the other last thing which i kind of related to as a kid whose parents are very very direct with me which is like other parents are stupid like they're just adults and they still suck so she has like sort of this like four things she's balancing which kind of makes it a little more it's sort of adding a couple layers to the the beat it usually hits which is always a good beat to hit i mean the premise of the show is like women are allowed to be pregnant it doesn't mean they're bad people (laughs) you know like right
1: for sure no i think like that is Something they were talking a lot about, like parenting kind of in this episode, and like Reba saying no, like and Van's like, oh no, I can like talk to her and stuff, you know, and that's it's good. I guess the feminist moment of him like being like, she's a more of a dad than you'll ever be, or whatever, it's like, all right, we're like playing with gender norms here. (laughs) Um, but I guess like that's not really, I don't know, like. Talking to your kids isn't necessarily a feminist thing, but I guess it's like a progressive, more progressive idea of like relating to your kids as like as equal as people who like have thoughts, you know, and are legitimate and not just people <laughs> yeah. to be like bossed around.
2: Um, but Lee, I don't know, put you on the spot. If you don't have one, do you have a song to pair with the episode?
1: Mm, we did. We watched it right now, so I'm trying to think. Uh, Issuing rich people. Does Reba have a good song about that? I
2: mean... She has a song about someone being fancier than her.
1: I know. I was thinking (laughs) about that. I mean, it seems too obvious, but like fancy is probably as fitting as anything else. It's like, no, like we're going to have our little life and it's fine and we've got just as much as you even if you have more money and blah, 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 you know. And don't judge my values just because you have more than I do or whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, lots of, I mean, fancy is basically like universally applicable right. for our late capitalist <laughs> conditions. So like it's, yeah. to find a Reba episode that it's not relevant to, I think would be challenging. Yeah,
2: for sure. The, uh, and then I don't know, maybe Brandon, I like, we hadn't looked at, we kind of forgot to look at these before we watched the episode and then we started recording. So may, Brain, maybe you can save us with this one. I don't have one off the top of my head. A punching <laughs> up reba joke. Was there any joke in this episode that definitely could have been better? They had a missed opportunity on. I'm trying to think.
0: The one that was really good, but felt like it's right at the end of the episode and rhythmically is—I don't have a punch up for it, but like things droop, Cheyenne. You'll learn that in life. Right. Is a pretty good line, but <laughs>
1: it is. And she—they didn't like contextualize it right. It's like she's obviously yeah. referring to like her boobs, right. like after, and she's like she could have been like after you're nursing or something, or come up with a good pun or something. You know what yeah. I mean? Like there was. So, instead, it was just kind of like. Wink, wink, well, like we all know what I'm yeah. saying here, <laughs> and it
2: was weird and defensive, too, like she said it like really angrily, as if like <laughs> <laughs> like as if Cheyenne had said something about her. I mean, I guess she was mad about the laundry thing, but yeah, it wasn't like it w- it was delivered it had the joke, but like you guys are saying it wasn't quite delivered with the like stop a beat and like let's laugh at this. it was like i'm I'm pissed off like. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. totally.
1: Um, I mean, the one that I was gonna call out was just like, I really want to know more about this band practice thing. Yeah. I feel like when Brock was saying, like, she scares me, he could have led up to that with some stuff about the band. Right. You know, like maybe she's in a punk band and maybe that's why she scares me. Well, you know what? Or something like that. You know
2: what, like, Galaxy Brain I thought of when, like, Brandon was talking about (laughs) how, like, uh, how Kira is like clearly like a young Reba and then Mm -hmm. Natalie was talking about how she's like in band practice and like what if this show is like Kira just like what if Kira is young Reba like what if that's what this show is because me and Natalie (laughs) were just talking like how like she read some interview with like uh the creator about how like the show's not based on Reba like in like talking about how they would have done the show with somebody else like just a non-celebrity so it's like maybe Reba was written as not Reba, but then when they filled out the like characters, like maybe Reba was like had kinda of talked about her life enough and Kira is that like Kira's based on mm. real Reba.
0: Yeah. Wow. I like I that. Mean, could be. That's
2: calling that a punch up would be
0: <laughs> more of an <laughs>
2: enormous rewrite, but <laughs>
1: I mean, they did have the joke where Brock was like, but her mouth is 35, so that kind of supports both of your theories, you know,
2: (laughs) like. Yeah, it was, I mean, I I, I did like that, like, I mean, it was a little weird and not quite problematic, but, like, weird that, like, he was afraid of his daughter just because she's, like, I don't know, like, kind of a shit talker, but, like, at least they touched on, like, what we've been saying every episode we've recorded, which is, like, her whole bit is very odd and it's just yeah. so like existence <laughs> is making fun of people and like we're kind of we've been joking about how like she's clearly like not written very fully like the only thing they use her as is like weird dry comedic relief and then like to have that sort of like actualized with like her dad being like no this is how she is all the time like it's terrifying you know like i don't like it is like it's a very like meta thing to happen
1: It was actually really funny when he was like, "I'm never wearing Bermuda shorts around her again." I was like, "Yeah, that that, was funny." That's
2: cool. I can see it it. it makes me think that, like, next episode, Brock is just going to be like, "This fucking Jake kid never says anything. All he creeps me out. (laughs) All he does is play a video game and then like yell something incoherently." Like, do you guys not notice this? Like, Brock just becomes like the like fourth wall of this show,
1: (laughs) right? Uh, that would be like Brock's surprisingly deep. Timing. Yeah.
2: Exactly.
1: You know, just the Greek chorus. Basically. He slowly Ooh, goes insane. But...
2: <laughs> basically, like, Reba yeah, realizes he... it and just always has like a cool way to handle it. And he's just like losing his mind. Like, am I in a TV show? What is happening?
1: Right. It's literally the Truman Show, but, like, Brock instead of Harry.
0: <laughs> and especially this idea, like, the premise of the show is he leaves the house. So it's yeah. like he's, he's right. trapped in this sitcom and, like, he escapes, but has to come back and starts to see there's a world beyond the, like, weird set and yeah these real these kids my, my kids are so weird what's yeah. going on he's like the people
2: <laughs> at my dental office are normal I don't get it like why whenever <laughs> I'm in the rooms with these people everyone's fucking like weird and has to have potato salad and
1: <laughs> <laughs> one funny thing is like I was doing this kind of Reba reconnaissance which I think I'm going to save for the next episode because we've kind of already spoken so extensively about this one but one of the funny things is that a feature written in October 2001 specifically referenced the potato salad episode. So I'm not the only one who, like, noted this as important.
2: Yeah. No, it's it stood out at the time. It definitely, I think, shipped the world a little bit. It was, like, one of two things that shipped the world that year.
1: <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's good, like... Really, like, this is just a 2001 culture podcast, like, talking about the only two things that mattered. Um, But, yeah, did we have any other... I
2: think that's all the categories. We nailed
1: Wow, okay. Brandon, any parting thoughts about Reba, the television show, or the person?
0: Uh, I mean, again, I just think it's a really interesting episode because it's so contained... And like plays up the strengths of uh, Van and Reba is really kind of interesting, yeah. I guess. And uh, like it's and like I said, I think it's like I like that it's like this deceptive. Like you could this episode, other than some of a couple weird things that this show has, like could just be like a dramatic one-act play or something like the dynamics are are pretty complicated and, and dark and weird but then it just has this reba it, it just gets reba eyes there's something right, right. Well, you,
2: like
1: that would honestly be like a hilarious thing to just stage reba readings in like a black box theater yeah. but totally the something like some call college... like never right. it seem like that's it's Reba. A...
0: <laughs> that's a really good idea
2: well you know what not to like stop us from ending this podcast but, like, uh, <laughs> what I noticed when I was looking up this episode is so, like, the show had been on weekly, obviously, but this show was it November on November 16th, but the next episode was also November 16th. So they did, back like, a back. double header. Um, and then wow. they, like... Apparently never did that again. But um So like it is interesting because it's like manager's like, yeah, it's such a contained episode and like clearly they like accidentally like achieved this like very like singular episode. And like of course they're like, and let's just air another like there wasn't even a commercial probably. It just went right into like some other one. Oh my god. Thing.
1: I don't wanna like spoil anything, but I just accidentally kind of spoiled it for myself um reading the synopsis of the next yeah, episode. Um... We're gonna get some more context about Kira and her musical oh,
0: interests. Wow. Oh, okay. that's exciting. That's All right.
2: Can't wait. Well, that's a good, good teaser, yeah, for, the teaser next one. for the next Reba watchables.
1: Uh, Brandon, thank you so <laughs> thank so you. much for joining oh, us to talk Reba. Thank you. This
0: is great. I really this is awesome. This is so much fun. Well,
1: you'll have to come back, sure. you know, next book or for soon. sure. <laughs> <laughs> um and thank you all for listening for subscribing you know if you feel like leaving a review we wouldn't be upset about that um tell your friends who love reba which is probably all your friends let's be real um and, and bye next book. time and by Brandon sure. Book, yes. I've yeah. got a monster. We didn't even call out the monster reference in the episode, which was actually extremely topical. Right. Van calls his parents monsters because of how much money they have, and it's actually <laughs> a perfect tie-in mm-hmm. to the way that monster is used in Brandon.
2: Right. We so. That's not – it's not a coincidence that we had Brandon. Off. That's why we right. – You're trying to find the most topical game. <laughs> <It> was... <day. laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: It all worked too perfectly. Yeah. Um, But yes, we will catch you next week and thank you for listening.
0: Yeah.